Hi folks, Lisa Monaco here. This week, our focus is on Russia. Alexei Navalny, the Russian opposition leader and outspoken Putin critic who was poisoned last month with a chemical nerve agent, has awoken from a medically induced coma. Meanwhile, mass protests have continued across Belarus following a presidential election last month, which was marred by allegations of widespread electoral fraud. On Monday, longtime Belarusian president Alexander Lukashenko, who is often referred to as Europe's last dictator, traveled to Russia to appeal to Putin for help. I talk about all this and more with Ken Weinstein on the newest episode of the United Security Podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid .edu email qualify for a discount at cafe.com slash student. That's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. I mean, the first thing I think we need to talk about is what's been going on with this poisoning of a Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. The whole story, Ken, is like right out of a Cold War spy novel. So I think we should first step back and figure out kind of how did we get here? And more to the point, how did Navalny get to Germany? You know, so maybe we should just lay down some of the facts. I think, you know, it starts on August 20th, right? So almost a month ago, where this Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, was uh, seemed to have been poisoned in Siberia. And he was in Siberia. They are kind of organizing uh, candidates uh, to run in local elections. And he was traveling from Siberia to back to Moscow. And he got violently ill on the plane as he was traveling from Siberia to Moscow, so ill that that plane had to make an emergency landing. And the new news is that we're learning, again, this comes from Navalny's own Instagram account, his own posting there. Uh, We're learning that he may have been poisoned while he was at his hotel in Siberia. Uh, And it includes a discovery that the water bottle he was using may have been laced with this poison. And that comes from uh, evidence that was gathered by his own team, his own lawyers and legal team that was with him in Siberia. They rushed. It's really quite dramatic. It sounds like the, he, they rushed to the hotel to gather up evidence after he got really sick on this plane. And so they rushed to the hotel where he'd been staying to grab up this evidence. And ultimately, they took it uh, with them to Germany where it got tested. So this is really a story that has had many twists and turns just over the last couple of weeks and it also, as you as you said at the outset, it's got some eerie parallels uh, to some recent events. Yeah, it's, as you say, right out of a John le Carre Cold War spy novel. You know, he's, as you said, he's in the Siberian city of Tomsk, um, and he's taking a flight back after having done some political mobilizing and trying to generate the vote for the opposition in, in Tomsk. Gets on the airplane, collapses obviously feels like something has been introduced into the system. The airplane then makes a, an emergency landing in Omsk. Um, so that was a flight from Tomsk to Omsk. So if this weren't so like dangerous and deadly serious, it would be amusing. 
that little play on words that you just made, but obviously, yeah, no, appreciate that. Bad taste, but I couldn't resist. So they, uh, they, they get them out in Omsk and the reports initially are that the Russian doctors there are sort of holding on to him, denying that he has any kind of poison in the system, despite the obvious symptoms of serious poisoning. Uh, and they, it appears to his people that the doctors are sort of trying to hold on to him until the poison can take full effect and kill him. Speculation, but that's the, what they read into that. Eventually, they relent and allow um, Navalny to be, to be released, but only after his wife appeals to Putin directly in a public letter asking for him to, for him to be released. He gets released to an NGO, this uh, group called Cinema for Peace Foundation, that uh, flies an airplane in, charters a plane, picks him up and takes him to Germany, where German doctors start to take care of him. And they immediately diagnose it as likely poisoning. Um, they start giving him treatment and they save his life. Um, and but for that, but for that NGO flying in there and pulling him out and the public pressure on Putin to allow him to be released and to leave the country, he probably would be dead today. Yeah, so let, let's talk about first, like, who is Navalny? And then talk about some of these, what are, I think, fascinating, dangerous parallels because this whole thing fits a pattern of Russian behavior against dissident voices, against opposition figures, especially those like Navalny who have gained traction and, and who have gained a substantial following. So let's just get some facts out on the table about who Navalny is. He's, as you know, we've said, he's a prominent opposition leader um, and he's been very, very visible. He's led protests in the past over disputed elections. He's been a fierce critic of Putin. He's called Putin the leader of a party of crooks and thieves. So he's not mincing any words. And he's, he's posed a real thorn in the side of Putin, frankly, and of his cronies. And he's gained a real following over the years. Uh, he, he mounted a campaign and, a, and a, an effort for mayor of Moscow once in the past. He's got this YouTube channel that he set up with about 4 million subscribers when he launched it. And the whole purpose of that YouTube channel has been to expose uh, corruption in the Russian government by Putin, by his cronies. And so he's he's really cut quite a figure for himself in uh, in Russia and gained a real a real following such that he has been the subject of repeated attempts to to silence him. So this isn't the first time that he has um, had some bad luck, you know, uh, to put it mildly, when it comes to things he's ingested. And he's found himself uh, on the wrong end of a few events, which have lots of parallels with efforts by the by the government to silence him. Yeah. And he is seen as a particular threat to the Kremlin because as you said, he's focused on corruption. In fact, that's sort of how he got his start back, you know, and he's only in his 40s now. He started, sort of rose to prominence back in the late 00s, around 2008. And his MO at that point was to get himself in as a minority shareholder in some in oil companies and other businesses that were hooked in to the, the Kremlin and that were engaged in corruption and to start asking questions. And he could do that as a minority shareholder and start pulling out information about the corrupt relationships between these businesses and uh, and the government. Started to disclose that, as you say, on social media, took advantage of the, the you know, social media coming to the fore, really appealed to the youth and um, and started building up a following. And his, his focus on corruption has really been his calling card. And gosh knows, there's lots of corruption around Putin and the Kremlin. And so that uh, that obviously was a direct threat 
to the oligarchy and to Putin. And on two occasions in the past, he's had these mysterious maladies that he thought were, you know, possible poisoning efforts. One, he he ended up sort of mysteriously having this allergic reaction of a type he'd never had before. Face swelled up and uh, it was very extreme. He was never able to ascertain what it was, but that was his speculation at the time. And another time, somebody threw some green liquid in his face that really damaged his eye. You know, who knows who was responsible for these incidents, but they're pretty clearly efforts to intimidate him if they were, in fact, intentionally introduced into his system. And then, as you pointed out, the government has gone to great lengths to try to diminish him, to try to sort of cause death by a thousand cuts. And to step back for a second, obviously, there are different ways that the Kremlin can deal with people like this and have dealt with people like this. But the option or the the route that they've opted to take here is to try to disable him. You know, once he got to a point of popularity that, you know, really just sending him off to a gulag or whatever would uh, cause more damage than good for the Kremlin, i.e. would generate sympathy and enthusiasm and being rallying call for the opposition, they've decided to instead try to undermine him with the use of the state judicial system. And they brought these various spurious charges against him, uh, ranging from embezzlement to fraud, to accusing him of um, stealing some piece of street art, to accusing him of defrauding a French perfume company, even saying that he had something to do with killing an elk. All efforts to try to bring charges against him, which would diminish his stature in the public eye, but also disable him from being uh, a candidate. As you pointed out, Right after he announced that he was going to run against Putin, lo and behold, charges are lodged against him, which then prevent him from running as a candidate. No coincidence there, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, they literally locked him up so that he couldn't run, right? But to show the force of the figure he's become in Russia, you know, he also got released after there were massive protests that were mobilized. So there's been this kind of kind of dance, it seems, or balance that uh, they've tried to strike where they try and diminish him, as you said. They try and take him off the field, literally and figuratively, take him off the political field during election times. But also, I think, been a concern of about the you know the massive kind of outpouring of protest that some of these measures have have taken. So, um, you know, so he's a he's a serious figure. This has gotten a lot of attention, and. I think there's a few things that we should all be very concerned about here. One is the repeated efforts, of course, of, you know, the Russian government to try and silence critics. The, the Where this Navalny episode fits within the long history of Russia's efforts to silence opposition figures and the extreme lengths that they'll go to to do that, to the to the point of using you know, banned chemical agents on both, it seems in this case, on their own soil against uh, a citizen of their country, but also, as we've seen in the recent past in 2018, against those who have fallen into disfavor in the Kremlin's eyes on foreign soil. And here that's the, um, talking about the case of Sergei Skripal and his daughter, Yulia, who in 2018 were found unconscious in a park in Salisbury, England. And it was determined after a, a you know investigation by the Brits into this that they were poisoned with a nerve agent that was left on their doorknob of their home, of Skripal's home. Now, Skripal, no angel, 
right? He was a double agent. He was a former GRU. That's the military intelligence arm of, of the Russian government. He was a former GRU officer, and he turned into a MI6, a British intelligence asset. So he's playing both sides, right, and fallen into disfavor with the Kremlin. And he was in the UK in 2018 after having been traded in a, in a spy swap with Russia. So clearly Russia was exacting revenge with this effort to poison him. And they were doing so in a very noisy and public way, right? They sent, uh, they sent agents from Russia to the UK. Those guys used Russian passports and were caught on CCTV twice while they were walking around in Salisbury before they uh, conducted this operation. So it's clear that the Russians were wanted to make it known that they had the capability to do this. They did this against Skripal and his daughter and used what was then found to be this nerve agent called Novichok, which turns out to be uh, very similar, if not in the same nerve agent family, as that which has now been found by the doctors in the system of Navalny uh, while he's been in Berlin. Yeah. It was developed by scientists under the Soviet Union, and they had a, they had a stockpile of it. And so we know that the Russian state would have access to it. Um, but yeah, uh, so Skripal is a great example. Um, I think the, the amazing aspect of that, well, there are many amazing aspects, but one is that he actually went over to the UK with a spy in, in, as part of a spy swap. So we swapped somebody to the Russians that they wanted to protect. We got him or the Brits got him so that they could protect him. And then the Russians come around afterwards and, and try to kill the guy. It's, it's really not, not cricket. No, it's not cricket. Nice. <laughs> nice use of the British phrase. No, but it's incredibly brazen, right? So it just shows more and more the lengths to which uh, the Russians will go to, make, to kind of exert their power, to exert their influence. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the situation in Belarus in a minute. But um, so that's obviously one of the things that I think we should all be very, very concerned about in this um, in this Navalny uh, episode. But, you know, we should we should also discuss the the whodunit factor here. Right. We, you know, Absolutely. we know that Navalny's got a bunch of opponents in Russia up to and including Putin. So kind of in the in the mystery element of this, who, who do you think done it? Yeah, well, look, to answer that question, you have to go back and look at the background that we've just discussed. You know, not only do we have the poisoning, but we have this whole record of the Russian state ginning up investigations and prosecutions to try to just uh, disable him as a as an opposition candidate, which you know, when you think about it, it, would sort of be like President Trump trying to gin up an investigation against his political opponent, Joe Biden. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. But it really is. It, it, it's, you know, the, a blatant misuse of the state's authority to dispense justice for political reasons. So you have that. That's obviously state action. Then you have this mysterious poisoning um, right on the heels and in the midst of that state effort to try to disable him as a, as a political opposition leader. So you have to think at first, okay, is it the leader of the, the current leader of the Russian government, uh, Vladimir Putin? And, and look, Putin has many, many reasons, and we've talked about him, for wanting Navalny to go away. Putin has shown that he cannot abide real opposition. He cannot abide criticism. Um, especially criticism from somebody who's as effective as Navalny. And Navalny is truly effective. He is the re he's a, a complete package. He's smart. He's energetic. 
He's personable. He's got sort of an earthy approach to people that make people gravitate to him. He is zeroed in on a topic for which the Kremlin is incredibly vulnerable, i.e. corruption. And that's something that the people of Russia, going back to the days when they rebelled against the czar with the Russian Revolution, the Russian people are sensitive to. He seems to be uncorruptible himself, which is a rarity. And, you know, he's internationalist in his approach. He's talking about the plight of other persecuted people like in Belarus, et cetera. And so he's incredibly famous, and that sort of makes him seemingly untouchable. And as Putin looks up, uh, out across the political landscape, as he's nearing the end of his time, you know, I think he, he and his people are getting more and more, or feeling more and more insecure, and a threat like this is just something that they would need to, to deal with. So a lot of reasons why Putin might well have ordered himself. And then just to, to round out that point, you know, then there's the, the possibility that Putin didn't order himself, but Putin has this whole cadre of people around him who are his henchmen, who, whom he empowers to go take, do his bidding, whether it's go overseas and try to, uh, you know, um, send private army members over to Syria to try to effectuate Russian uh, foreign policy objectives or taking care of dissidents. So he's got this cadre of people. They are enabled. They're enriched by being part of his inner circle. They have an interest in keeping Putin in place. And so they just take it in, you know, in their own hands. You know, and it sort of sort of takes you back to the Henry II Shakespeare play where, you know, the famous line, well, no one rid me of this troublesome priest where the king, of course, is trying to get rid of Beckett. And then sure enough, Beckett gets killed by the knights. He didn't order it, but he made it clear. Can I just comment on the fact we've gone from football to the Beatles to Beckett? I'm a man for all seasons. I know. It really, it boggles the mind, I think, your, your range here. But, you know, look, I, I think he also, Navalny has proven himself a very dynamic thorn in the side of Putin and his supporters and his underlings. You know, he he famously, and I think this is, when I was kind of reading about this, I thought it was particularly interesting. He famously used drones to fly over the former prime minister, Dmitry Medvedev, to fly over I hope you've enjoyed this sample from the United Security Podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.